Well, hi once again. It's time for another edition of Whatever, the show that doesn't go anywhere and has no real purpose other than to uh, boost my ego a touch. I'm recording this the day before National Shawarma Day, so if anybody doesn't know what that is, hasn't lived in southern Ontario long enough, and uh, I'm going to advise you to go shawarma or whatever. Shawarma. Beautiful stuff. Uh, By the way, the Ozbox at uh, Osmos is a real prize. I think my wife and I might give that another try. Lots of things to talk about today, and uh, some of them we'll actually probably cover. Uh, first, a uh, little bit of music for you, and uh, today we're going to feature a song by Delma, and this is one I wrote when she was on her way over to the recording studio to uh, put some of her music on tape for me, or <laughs> not on tape anymore, it was going to be digitally mastered, I guess, and uh, all that other stuff that I don't know anything about, I just sit there and push the buttons. Anyway, yeah, the song is called Blues about you. Midnight cats are crying, my poor soul is dying, and it's all about you. Everywhere I turn. Get my fingers burned And that's all about you Heart can't keep from breaking Spirit's sore and aching Dreams are dying slowly Life is cold and lonely Because of you You, you, you It's all about you So young when I found you, I built my world around you, it was all about you. Let myself feel, you and I were real, that was all about you. All my thoughts were of you, I believe. Because of you, 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 it's all about you. When you first made love to me, said you were my truly, thrill me down to my fingertips. But all my love went missing. When I saw you kissing on somebody else's lips Ooh, midnight cats are crying Lord, there's no denying That it's all about you Everywhere I turn, get my fingers burned about you Heart can't keep from breaking Spirit's all 
you're dying slowly My life is cold and lonely Because of you You, you, you It's all about you I'm going to do another shameless plug for my wife now. My wife is D.T. Man. At least that's her pen name. She writes, uh, I guess you'd call them uh, romantic uh, adventure type novels. Uh, that's the name she writes under, D.T. Man. You can find her at Amazon worldwide and uh, on Kobo. And uh, the books are all reasonably placed. They're all around five bucks, and they're, they're just great. The ebook versions are. The paperbacks are obviously more expensive because they have to be printed and whatnot. So uh, I think today we'll have a, a little excerpt from a, um, a book that's about a detective agency. Well, actually, it's a personal protection investigation and protection agency. And it features a couple of guys that are uh, lead characters in three of her books. This one's the first one, and it's the best to read first because you get an idea of who all the characters are. It's from Escape from Evil. And here's a brief uh, portion of it. What? Who the hell is this? Scott, it's me, Allie. Did I wake you? The fat whore. Why the hell are you calling me? Did your Mr. Wonderful superhero come to his senses and want nothing more to do with you? Did you gross him out like you do everyone else? They could hear his disgusting laugh. Everyone looked over at Heath, who sat stoically except for his hands. They were fisted so tightly his knuckles were white. The only one who didn't look was Allie. No, Scott. Heath didn't leave me. He actually loves me, a concept you know nothing about. Before you decide to continue to throw out more of your lame, childish insults that no longer mean anything to me, shut up and listen to what I have to say. What the hell did you say to me, you dirty... Scott, I told you to shut up. I have some information that you'll be more than interested in. I'd listen to what I have to say if I were you. What would someone like you have that could possibly be of any interest to me? You know all those disgusting pictures you took of me? The ones you took every time you beat me? Well, I've got them. Most of them, anyway. I've given them to a detective, Jordan Little. He was very interested in them, and in talking to you. Do you remember where you kept them, Scott? There was silence on the other end, and everyone at the table now sat more forward than they already were. I think your silence says it all. You do know where I retrieved them from, don't you, Scott? Oh, and do you know what else I found in your safe, Scott? There was money, but as much as you owed it to me for all the pay you kept from me, I think I'll have a lawyer look into that. What I did find were all the documents you used to blackmail all those people. Allie, what the hell did you do? Scott, I think that's the first time in all the time we've known each other that you've ever used my name. I wasn't sure you even knew it. Anyway, I don't want to get off the track here. I want to say what I have to say and get off the phone. I want you to know the same Detective Little knows what I did. And what did I do with those papers, you're asking yourself? I asked my boyfriend Heath and his partner Rob and their colleagues to help me return everything to each and every person they belong to. You no longer have anything on any of those people, Scott, or me. You bitch, do you have any idea what you've done, you cow? When I get my hands on you, you'll think the days we made those pictures were a picnic. 
You think Pretty Boy can save you from me? You're showing them all how stupid you really are. No, Scott. I think I showed them a taste of what kind of an evil and perverted inhuman being you are. Scott was now screaming, and most of it was unintelligible. He was beginning to lose his mind. How does it feel when someone else has the upper hand and does damage to you, Scott? Before Scott could answer, Allie hung up the phone and froze for a moment. She didn't turn and look at the detective or at Heath. After what seemed like forever, and everyone too afraid to approach her, Heath pushed back his chair to stand and go to her, and Allie turned to him. She had tears, but also a smile on her face. Well, that's a plug for Escape from Evil, written by D.T. Mann. D.T. Mann, who happens to be my wife. And I'll tell you how to get her books. You just go on Amazon, any place in the world, or you uh, go on Kobo, depending on what kind of ebook reader you have. And uh, put the name D space T space Mann into the uh, search engine, and you'll find her books. Price is right. Keeps the family going, and uh, we'd love to hear from you at uh, dtman155 at aol.com. So if you want to drop a line, you just go right ahead. Uh, DT answers them all, and uh, she reads them all first, which is uh, a nice change. Anyway, has anybody noticed that Google has really prostituted itself before the uh, like I like to call it, the bitch goddess money. As soon as you plug something into Google, you get uh, a whole bunch of stuff that you have no desire for. You get ads, one right after the other. Uh, I wanted to get onto Wix to work on my uh, wife's website. <laughs> First, I had to go through about seven or eight other websites that were advertising uh, free website builders and all that sort of thing. And it's the same with everything. The paid ads always come first. And whether you put whatever you put into the search engine doesn't even really matter, except eventually you get to it, of course. But um, the the whole thing about uh, having a search engine is uh, plugging in what you want and getting the information and getting out. That doesn't seem to happen that way anymore. Anyway, I hope you folks at uh, Google are listening and we'll tighten things up a little bit. And while we're on the subject, uh, the database at uh, Amazon can be, t and Kobo, uh, they can be tightened up a little bit too because uh, I put in uh, DT Man to check on my wife's uh, books, see if they were advertised properly. And guess what? It said, did you mean Dr. Man? No, I didn't. I meant DT Man. So look that up before you ask me about other stuff. Uh, I don't want a book by Dr. Man. If I did, I would ask for it. So uh, pay attention to what I'm writing. Come on, folks, there's going to be a quiz later. So they're having an inquiry now on the uh, <laughs> whether our prime minister should have used the Emergency Measures Act or not. All those months ago when the Freedom Caravan, or I'm sorry, what, what was the name of that caravan where all those guys drove those trucks around and honked their horns and irritated everybody? Uh, yeah, well, uh, whatever that was, the... Um, the uh, the PM used the Emergency Measures Act, so now they're having a, an inquiry into whether he should have done it or not. Now, what do they do if that inquiry says, uh, no, he shouldn't have done it? 
do they go back to all those guys with the trucks and say, hey, come on back. It's okay. You can drive your trucks around our country. You can you can park under the Ambassador Bridge and block off traffic to Detroit. And you, you can blow your horns and irritate everybody. So one woman even got a court injunction to make you stop. Um, but uh, I guess that, I don't know, what what is the result of the inquiry going to be? Uh, personally, I'm glad he did it. Uh, secondly, I'm... Uh, Glad he kind of took after his father, who, when the uh, Front de Liberation de Quebec uh, came to the fore, he called out the troops. And uh, I, I think he invoked the War Measures Act. I'm not exactly sure of that, but I think so. And God love him for doing it. Why not? I mean, they were they were blowing up mailboxes, and, and they started killing people. So, uh, hello, you know, we've got a problem. Let's uh, deal with it. But I think having an inquiry all these months later is, is kind of a little uh, like closing the barn door after the, uh, the horse has left. That brings me to, uh, you know, talking about cliches, that brings me to a few that come to mind right away. Because whenever I think of a cliche, I always think of my father who had a million of them. Um, one of his favorites was he'd look at me with a very serious face and he'd say, son, you think you're a wit and you're about half right. My dad learned a lot between the time I was 17 and the time I was 21. I can't get over how much he actually learned. It was really quite amazing. You know, he got so smart all of a sudden that I started listening to him. And that was a real first. Some of the other ones he had were, were quite something. And I, and I like some of them are just rooted in absolute common sense, which is a dying <laughs> is a dying thing. What, it, what would it be? Um, anyway, the, the common sense. I, I saw an article one time that was written. It was an obituary for common sense, and I think it was very appropriate because common sense has really, really died. Anyway, the uh, the common sense that my father used to talk about were things like he would say, you know, when you're talking, you're just repeating something you already know. When you're listening, you could learn something. Uh, he had a bunch of those. I, at first, I kind of he annoyed me with them, you know. But then I got thinking about them, and they were actually pretty smart. The one that he liked to quote, and he was quite free in admitting it wasn't anything that he'd dreamed up. But he used to like to say, "It's better to appear a fool." Wait, it's better to keep silent and appear a fool. It's better to keep silent and appear a fool than to speak up and remove all doubt. And I'll close this little segment with giving you a poem that he he used to recite. <laughs> He'd say, uh, how did it go now? The aging man sat on the bench beside the busy street. His ancient eyes were filled with tears. His boots were filled with feet. And he'd say it with a serious voice and a serious look on his face. And... No matter how many times you heard it, it was still elicited a giggle or two. And he used to come to the table uh, after dinner, uh, or at least he'd stand up from the table when we finished the main course, and he'd say, uh, say something like, okay, everybody that doesn't want any ice cream stays sitting down. And by the time we figured out what he actually said, he'd say, okay, I guess nobody wants any ice cream. I'll have some, though. Anyway, that was dear old dad. He's uh, gone to his reward many moons ago. And... Uh, I miss him all the time. I miss him most on Remembrance Day because he was a, 
a textbook soldier. He was a career Air Force. He uh, he enlisted in the Air Force during World War II. He was actually called to service in the Army. But when you got conscripted in those days, you had the choice. It was uh, World War II, and you had a choice of whether you of whether you would go to where you were called or whether you would enlist in another service, and he chose the Air Force. And when he came back after the war, uh, I guess he looked around and saw the jobs weren't too plentiful, so he did what they call remustered and ended up spending the rest of his life as a, uh, well, servant of the people. He was a, uh, a career uh, Air Force guy and uh, worked his way back up because after the war he had to get back to... Uh, as they call it, remustering, he had to go back to being a, um, what do you call it, a, uh, it wasn't an AC-2, it was an LAC leading aircraftsman. And uh, when he when he, when he he retired from the service, he was a, uh, a warrant officer. So he, he did very well. And uh, the stories he could tell you would fill a few podcasts, <laughs> that would be for sure. Uh, some of the more interesting ones were when he went on a tour across Canada checking up on uh, what they used to call scrounge. And what it was was people were just taking stuff home from the uh, air bases, you know, without asking for it or without paying for it or anything else. And uh, that was called scrounge. They never, they never called it stealing, uh, but it really was that. <laughs> anyway, some of the stories he told about that were very interesting. He went to one place where... There was a, um, there were three hangars he was investigating. Hangar, uh, hangar being the place for those who are the non-initiated. Hangar being a building where they keep airplanes stored. And he went and inspected these three hangars. One of them had all the um, electric, electrical wiring and everything else stripped out of it. Uh, another one had everything. It was basically not more than a shell had even the paneling that was on the wall. And uh, the other one was just a square on the ground where the building used to be. Uh, but it all went, I guess, to people's summer cottages and places like that. Was, I'm not telling tales out of school because this is 100 years ago and uh, nobody could be persecuted or prosecuted for it because they'll never find them. Well, that's it for another edition of Whatever. This is Dave Foreman. I want to thank you very much for the pleasure of holding hands with your ears while this little show is going on. And uh, if you're driving with me in the car, I'll get off at the next light. And we'll see you next time right here on Whatever. Whatever.